0: And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2,
1: Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday, and uh, we're here to have a great show. Uh, We're live, uh, coming to you from Orange County. So uh, in case this is the first time that you happen to be tuning in, or maybe it's been a little while, let me give you a little rundown on how the show really works. we cover all sorts of great topics around talent. Um, We talk to talented people who, um, also know how to manage their talent really well. And, uh, you know, also kind of get into leadership development and company culture, employee engagement, all sorts of fun things that I love talking about, uh, with my, uh, spectacular guests. Um, You know, as these are all just kind of great topics um, that we really kind of dive into, it really comes from this opportunity that I have to meet a lot of inspiring leaders, talk to these great people, and really kind of created this environment for us to have a conversation um, so that you can listen in and hopefully at least get one thing out of our conversation that you might be able to go, you know what, I can use that today or I can use that next week or I can use that next week in that meeting with my boss um, or with my employer, whatever it may be. Um, hopefully you take something away so uh, as i mentioned before we're live here every tuesday 1 p.m pacific standard time um and you can access us live but most of you actually get us after the fact so you grab us on itunes subscribe there or you hear us on iheart you can subscribe there as well and, you know in the last several years we've been averaging around 10,000 people a day listening to one or more podcasts and we just really appreciate the support it's why we do it we love the interaction and uh telling all these great stories if you have a question for one of my guests, it's one of the, the best things about the show is the interaction with our uh, uh, with everyone who's tuning in. Um, we love to get questions on Twitter, so pop that question in, add the at peopleg 2 the number two. And if you have room, add the hashtag talent talk. That helps us as well. My producer, Mike, is eagerly watching on Twitter right now, hoping that one of you will send us an awesome question and we will try to work it in the show. All right, let's go ahead and get to my guests. Uh, today, we, we'll start with uh, Autumn Manning, the co-founder and CEO of You Earned It. And then we'll have a good friend of mine, Joe Rogers, on, the co-founder and CEO of RGB Projects. Uh, he'll be joining me again on the second half of the show. Um, but So let's go ahead and jump in with my first guest. Uh, Autumn, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Chris. Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you're here as well. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, kind of, you know, where you got your start, who you are, and, of course, then get to what your company does. Uh, you earned it.
2: It's uh, how long do we have? Um, have I uh, have five uh, hours
1: of designated time. No, I'm just kidding. Good.
2: So that'll get us started, I think. Um, yeah, so you mentioned it. I'm the co-founder and CEO of You Earned It. Uh, we're an Austin-based software company, and I'll tell you about, about You Earned It in just a minute. But, you know, you asked who I am. I'm, um, you know, my background has always been in, talent management and organizational development. I've always been incredibly fascinated with behavior change. And so I've spent all of, I was going to say the majority, but all of my career really working with executives and companies and just having awesome conversations around how do you elevate talent and how do you drive change through people. So it gives you an idea of what I love and, and, and kind of my DNA a bit. Um, I mentioned I'm the co-founder of You Earned It and and we work with companies all over the globe by giving them a platform that drives performance all across the company. And we do that by increasing engagement, really helping them dial in and improve their culture, and just giving them a way to deliver a much more compelling employee experience. So, so that's a little bit about me, and that's, that's what you does.
1: Yeah, so you're doing a lot of the things that I love and love to talk about. You're in one of the cities that I love to visit and get fat in. And I, I so,
2: hear that a lot from people.
1: Yeah. <laughs> if uh, I have to generally will give in to sitting in front of Franklin at least once every time I'm there, so amongst all the other fantastic places to eat and have a good time in Austin. Um, but maybe let's kind of dive into, in, into your world a little bit as an entrepreneur and you kind of made the decision to, you know, have a startup company and with a little specific uh, focus. So, you know, it's oftentimes because people, they've kind of identified something in an experience or something they're seeing that they know they can help fix or change or or improve. So what was it about it that maybe what you saw happening within organizations that prompted you to really start this company, and really focusing on culture and that employee experience?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And um, I have to start by saying I've never actually stood in front of Franklin's because it's a sad, sad thing being a vegetarian in a town like Austin. Um, oh, but I man. hear it's delicious. Right. <laughs> I hear it's just it, that it can't be beat. So, um, so yeah, you know the the birth of you earned it, if you will. One came up, come, you know, came about from like I said, a lot of passion that I have around behavior change, but really. Um, probably more importantly, when you looked, this is a little over four years ago, by the way, when we started this company, and I co-founded it with a colleague and a good friend of mine. And we actually, um, you know, the company that we were with at the time, we noticed that to compete and to really outperform, we were in a very competitive market. Uh, the company that you earned was actually incubated within was a very competitive digital advertising company. And, you know, that's an industry that is just completely um, it's it's exhausting. There's a lot of burnout. There's a lot of turnover, low margins, a lot of competition. And so uh, my colleague that I mentioned really knew that the way you build a, a high-performing business and the way you win is by differentiating a culture and really making something different for employees. And so we actually were, were chatting and and thought, you know, surely there's a platform or a solution we can bring in-house to this company to help our employees be more engaged and to help them connect to each other and to give them things that were meaningful and rewarding for all their hard work, all of those, you know, being components of what we wanted to deliver to help them engage. But it was a head-scratcher when we actually looked at the market because we noticed tons of, solution, so to speak, to kind of get at this opportunity of driving engagement and enhancing our culture and and keeping people there for a differentiated reason. Um, But we noticed a lot of these companies were really, uh, A, the technology wasn't so great. And so, you know, knowing the workforce that we had and really where trends were going, if the technology was bad, we knew our people wouldn't use it. And so it would be another well-intended HR or company solution that, that wasn't, Um, Met with engagement from employees, so obviously that's a no go. But even bigger than that, we noticed that most of the companies at the time, and you still find this to be the case, they were really solving this challenge of engagement by throwing rewards at employees. And so they were saying, We want you, you know, we want to engage you, and here's lots and lots of things, lots and lots of rewards. And oh, by the way, those rewards were marked up. So those companies had also built business models, and their whole revenue business model was around reward fulfillment. So long story short, we thought, you know, employees want something very different. And to really drive behavior, why don't we actually build a platform that gives employees what they actually want and what they're looking for and really going to enter into this market that feels very old school and in time for a shakeup. So that's a bit of why we decided to build You Earned It.
1: Yeah, and then you you kind of touched on a lot of different things there, but, um, you know, that that kind of poor uh, maybe experience and then sort of that how they're Mm -hmm. kind of monetized around that. A lot of things that we notice in the marketplace that, you know, it's not sort of – Services didn't seem to have that kind of full 360 experience and have every sort of little piece maybe kind of figured out. So, you know, it sounds like if your, your company can do that and your, your solution is doing that, probably one of the reasons that you're having some great success. Um, I think I noticed in your, um, in kind of doing some research on you, that one of your core beliefs is that a business has success when they focus on their people and their culture first. Um, Are you surprised at how many companies are maybe not aware of this or aren't doing this first? They're sort of doing other components first?
2: That's a really good question, and and it's interesting. I think my answer is different today than it would have been when we built You Earned It. So when we started You Earned It, I don't think I was surprised because, you know, sadly, the HR organization is one that tends to be um, misunderstood, underfunded, but lots of things kind of added to their list and their plate. Um, and, you know, four years ago when we were building the platform, I think there were a lot of legacy beliefs and certainly the shift in employee expectations hadn't hit the world, if you will, like they have today. So today what I find is it's rare that I'm sitting across the table from a company, whether it's a Fortune 500 company or a fast growing startup, where they don't understand the importance of culture. And, you know, I can't get through a conversation with a CEO or an executive where he or she you know, doesn't acknowledge the difficulty in retaining really good talent and how important it is to prioritize, you know, what we call the employee experience, what I am surprised by is that it's still outsourced, that it's still kind of viewed at some companies as kind of a task to be managed by HR. And so that's what I find a big difference in our customers or non-customers, frankly, you know, people who are doing really, really well with this and people who have some room for improvement is the ones that are just, nailing it and and you know their best places to work and they're keeping their best people and and the energy is just felt as you walk in their doors are ones that do not outsource if you will culture or don't outsource engagement to hr but they really you know that they make a draw a line in the sand they say this is a strategic business imperative and i'm going to treat it as such that's a surprising part to me
1: yeah and it, it's kind of like um people's look at it i've had that experience they go well that's just hr supposed to do it and of course hr isn't Mm -hmm. really given the vision they aren't given the resources they aren't given anything that they really need to drive that um it really tends to be something that maybe the ceo or the owner or the executive team is really going to be feeding and sort of directing sort of steering the ship and then hr is going to be there helping us you know accomplish those things it's sort of a, a full company thing as well as it is so important that your staff is very much a part of driving the culture and being a part of that uh, discussion and application. And uh, it really takes every single person in the company. When you when you see a great com- a company with a great culture, I know I notice that every person is helping and is involved in that. Um, whereas with the yeah. bad cultures, it's just sort of one group, one person maybe that's thinking about it. Is that is that kind of what you were saying? Is that what you're seeing?
2: Yeah, totally. And and whether you use a platform like You Earned It or you informally through spreadsheets, it doesn't matter how you manage and facilitate culture. The point is just make sure you're prioritizing it. I mean, my role, and as we scaled You Earned It um, from day one till it's so much even more important today, a huge part of my responsibility is just making sure that our culture is moving in the right direction that people are really, you know, connecting to and understanding our core values, that, that they really understand, you know, where are we going and why are we going there and how do I uniquely help us get there. Like those are all questions of employees who are highly engaged in culture or highly engaged, and that's really why. I mean, what what CEO doesn't want an employee to ask that? And, you know, if, if you're still outsourcing culture or thinking, hey, I'm going to go buy culture with a platform Listen, we can be the best software platform out there, but we can't fix something that's broken. And if the if executive team isn't looking at investing in your people as a strategic advantage, you know, we can have some results, but we won't have the profound results that the customers who actually prioritize it are seeing.
1: Right, absolutely. So, you know, what at what point does a struggling organization then maybe take a step back and examine their present situation and try? To, maybe it's time to evaluate their culture. You know, is it when they can't get people to stay? When they can't get people to agree to join them? Is it when they, you know, are suddenly having a profit loss issue or losing clients? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, are there certain times when maybe you see that companies were actually willing to s- take a step back and really think about it?
2: Yeah, you know, I think I have several answers to this. I mean, one that we find when we find people actually really going, okay, we really need to double down on this is when they're experiencing intense growth is one that's kind of indicative of a lot of our partners where they say, gosh, we've just grown so fast and we're doubling in, in headcount and revenue, you know, every year, maybe every quarter. And we realize we have to retain what's working as we grow. And so that's more of a proactive view, right? And and we hear that a lot. Um, sometimes we hear companies when they say, gosh, we're just losing our people left and right. We're competing for talent with all of the best tech companies, and we have to compete on a different level. And we can't throw enough money at them fast enough, so what do we do? We really invest in culture, and we find that that's the case. So, so, so the, the clue there would be you're either losing talent or you're not winning the best talent. For me? You know, Austin is a very competitive talent marketplace. And even, yes, we compete in our backyard locally here, but we compete globally too. Cause you know, you don't have to be in our office to be working if you're an engineer or if you're on certain teams. And so when we lose, when we're trying to recruit someone and we lose to someone else, it always makes us go back and say, how did we miss that? Did we not promote our culture enough? Was there something as an organization? Cause it's rarely the pay and we don't overpay we you know we pay market value i would suggest but what we're finding consistently from top talent is we, we hear when they come to us it's because of culture it's because of what they're reading on glassdoor so that's the other beauty if you will even if you don't care glassdoor kind of makes you care you know because people are going and reading that before they're walking into your interview
1: yeah absolutely i mean that sort of crowdsourced information it's you know i think in the past we were and this still happens quite a bit but we were more um, likely to talk to someone in the company to get a referral and maybe trust what that one person that you might know in the company you know is telling you about how the organization might work um, now you have an, an not only you're talking to someone who is working at a company you might go in the glass door and find out what did people who were there that left for good or bad reasons thinking and uh, what is that overall view of the CEO and the leadership? I mean, it's an incredible resource. But, you know, often else, companies right? will maybe fail um, or, or aren't able to change their culture or don't want to change their culture. And ultimately, they go with that solution of let's just, we'll just dump the entire leadership and overhaul the whole thing and bring them in and try to start again. I mean, do you see that happen as sort of a necessary evil if they just can't, you know, get that culture piece right?
2: You know, that's. I do. I see it happen a lot. and And I do think it's important to be able to ask, you know making sure there are no sacred cows, right? and if and if one of the reasons change isn't happening is because the leadership isn't setting the right tone, setting the right behavior, setting the right vision, that certainly is a leadership cultural issue. and And a lot of our partners have gone through that, complete overhauls in leadership. and And then, you know, from there, they then ask the question of what behaviors did they condone that we have to stop condoning, and then they look at their core values, and those are all really important foundational pieces that that can be perceived as fluffy if they're looked at the wrong way, but really are key drivers of performance and highly engaged teams. And and I see that happen a lot, and certainly for us as we scale, you know, making sure that I think there was a there's a great article going around recently, um, and the title was something around the lines of, along the lines of, you know, your culture is reflected in who you hire and who you fire. And I do believe that. And, you know, we have to make sure we're asking ourselves as a leadership team, you know, are our leaders exhibiting the behaviors that we condone, the ones that we believe will lead to our success, both functionally and um, from a skill set standpoint, but culturally? Because it's a big deal for our growing workforce because they're looking for something – to hang their hat on. And if they don't believe in the leadership, then most of the other stuff we do doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so we've talked a little bit about um, changing a leadership or changing our culture or who who might be responsible for that. But maybe on a more specific level, are there some analytics that maybe you've identified that are helpful for companies? You know, if they're trying to measure um, either success or what they need to focus on or you know, maybe where where they're at with company culture because I have this experience all the time. I'll ask people, you know, about their company culture, and no one ever tells me it's bad. I mean, you might get an employee that has a bad experience, but from a management level, they, oh, we have the greatest culture ever, you know. And <laughs> I usually find they're just not measuring; right? they have no idea. Um, it just feels good to them because they're happy. Um, so, are there analytics or things that you guys focus on?
2: Yeah, so so as a company, we do, and then for our customers, we do, and and it's different based on the goal. So so some of the analytics, I mentioned one earlier, but I do think it's an important one to measure is, you know, job offers that you've extended that people are accepting or turning down and why. And that's a pretty sobering message. You know, when when a CEO, you know, you might believe your culture is great, but if we're competing, if we've got, you know, 10 engineering roles to fill by, you know, this quarter or 25 roles to fill this quarter and we cannot get the best talent to fill the roles in time, Why? Why are people not accepting our job? Why are people not staying past a certain period of time? Um, Not just retention, but retention of high performers. That's a really big one. So are your high performers staying? Are your high performers engaged? So there's lots of ways you can measure culture um, starting, you know, from the beginning of the employee life cycle or before they're even part of your company to um, throughout. So you, you should be able to attribute culture, a good culture to things like increase of collaboration across the business. It's a tough one to measure, but we certainly help our customers measure that. Increase of innovation and ideas coming from different parts of the business because today's challenges are not solved in simple ways. And so what you're really hoping for in a really strong culture is our people sharing ideas. Is it an open, transparent organization? And so whether you measure that through an engagement survey or you measure that through retention or acceptances or actual sales increases, customer service increases, you, you can and should be measuring culture in some way.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that measurement is just a big component. You need to, to check your, um, your assumptions. You need to make sure that what you think is going on really is. And, of course, it may be identifying those things that you are doing really well. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's one that I notice that people don't spend a lot of time on is what are we actually doing really well? And what is it that people like about working here and talking about that more than maybe worrying that, you know, we can't pay as much as others or we don't have um, five ping pong tables. We only have three or whatever it is they think culture is all about, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, you know, but what are we doing well? And um, it kind of sounds like you're kind of pushing companies to that and kind of getting that right measurement, that right understanding of what they're
2: doing. That's great. That and also encouraging a lot of, if you think about the kind of flow of communication across the business, you know, how do you promote those behaviors across the business and really promoting to employees, what are they doing well? And how do you get them promoting that to their peers and their managers and then socializing those behaviors across the business? Because, you know, it's contagious, you know, having the ability to, you know, go up to anyone in the organization and say, here's what they uniquely do well and I'm going to help share that story does a lot for the energy of the culture and it does a lot for effectiveness of the team. So, so yes, identifying those things is definitely something that, that we believe in and we really practice and, and we preach it as well quite a bit.
1: So uh, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests is about books. Um, we love books on the show. So uh, is there a book that you're reading now or recently finished or if you've been too busy to read, maybe one that you always kind of go back to and, and reference that you might uh, share with us?
2: Books, yes. So I, I, I think I always have like seven books going and so it takes me forever to finish any one because you are one of, of those said, people. You know? All right, all right. <laughs> exactly. No, no, no. But but here's the deal. I don't always finish all of those seven, but there is one that actually Love. Um, There's two I'm reading now. Kind of capturing my attention more than the others. One is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, and I love stories of you know big brands or reputable companies or entrepreneurs that you know people just kind of think things happen. Like Nike's always been around, but hearing the story of how he got to where he got and the trials and the fears and the adrenaline of the early days of building that business. I just love reading that. So that, that book is a really good one for that. Um, and then a book by Jocko Willink, was a, who who is a, I think he's an ex Navy SEAL and he co-wrote it with someone whom I don't remember, but it's called Extreme Ownership. And he just kind of shows lessons from the battlefield and he tries to draw analogies to everyday leadership, which I love. So the second book is a little bit more structured. The first one is just kind of gets my energy going and my adrenaline. If I'm feeling defeated, you know, they always say an entrepreneur has the highest highs and the lowest lows every day. And I can tell you I certainly empathize with that. And books like Shoe Dog help me go, yeah, he's been there too. So, So those are the books that come to mind for now.
1: Yeah, and uh, Shoe Dog, I mean, there's some great books you mentioned, but Shoe Dog is a fantastic book. We've had it, I mentioned it a few times on the show, and my book club read it, and everyone loved it. So that is, if you have seven books going, I suggest you stop the other six and let yourself finish that one, because it's I so know. good.
2: <laughs> you know what's funny is I reread the beginning like three times, because, you know, it depends on the mood that I'm in. I'm like, you know, let's see how he was feeling at about this time. So <laughs> it is such a good right.
1: book. Right, Absolutely. Well, um, how can people get a hold of you or learn more um, about You Earned It if they're interested in uh, engaging with you and your company?
2: Oh, a question I love. Um, well, they can follow me on Twitter or find me on Twitter, direct message me there, uh, Twitter handle is A underscore Manning, or the company. We're really active on social, and so, um, you know, at You Earned It. And my email also is pretty easy. It's autumn at UERNA dot com. If anyone wants to know more about the company or our website it has lots of goodness on it. Whether you're a customer or not, you know, we really we really try hard to push it's kind of what you said in the beginning of the intro of this podcast as I was listening to it. Just tips. Even if you take one thing away, our goal is to really drive deeper level engagement and make life easier for companies. And so we, we put a lot of really great content out there that, that um, partners can leverage. And so youearnedit.com is a really great resource as well.
1: Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for um, being a part of the show and uh, coming on today, kind of sharing everything about you and, uh, and your company. Um, hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on how you're doing and all the great successes or lessons and things that you've learned uh, at some point.
2: Wonderful.
1: This was great. It was such a pleasure. All right. Thanks, Autumn. Um, We'll be right back after this quick commercial break with our second guest, Joe Rogers.
3: Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months, and the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880 that's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show if you're just joining us you missed a great interview with Autumn Manning a co-founder and CEO of You Earned It you'll be able to go back and find that interview on in a few weeks here on iTunes or listen to it on iHeartRadio anytime you like you can also go to talent talk radio.com listen to that show past shows um we love all those are great places to find us interact with us and of course you can ask us a question on twitter at any time by sending it to at people g2 use that hashtag talent talk we'd love to interact with you there answer your questions uh give you winning lottery tickets uh whatever it may be we, we'll, we'll try to we aim to please um uh Hashtag, yeah. Anyway, so uh, let's go ahead and get to my next guest, uh, Joe Rogers. He is a good friend of mine, also the co-founder and CEO of RGB Projects. Uh, Joe, welcome to the show.
4: Hey, Chris. Great to be here.
1: Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? You have a kind of a a very interesting story of just sort of some of the things that you've done and where you've been, but kind of give, give us the highlights of that and then, of course, what you're doing over there with RGB Projects.
4: Well, uh, RGB Projects, I'll start with the, our, cons- our consultancy. We are an enterprise content management, uh, business process management-focused consultancy, and that's a fancy way for saying that we basically optimize our clients' futures. Um, we give them the paperless office, the mythical paperless office, and uh, re-engineer processes so that a 10-day, 10-day activity can take 10 minutes.
1: Well, that's pretty cool. Um, and then, of course, tell us a little bit about uh, your, kind of your background, uh, some of the things that you did kind of prior to that that led up to the to this business.
4: Sure. Well, yeah, my, my story is probably a little unusual. I, um, I started Harvard at 16, and a year before my senior year in college, I decided it would be prudent to take a year off. Uh, so that I would be able to drink legally when I graduated. And uh, I ended up getting a temp job at a company called FileNet back in the 80s. And they were uh, pioneering the world of what was then called document imaging, basically scanning paper and storing it electronically. And uh, I... After I graduated with my computer science degree, I fell into my first contract, so I've been self-employed since college, and uh, early half of the 90s built a small consulting company up to five people, and then uh, the latter half of the 90s built a software company uh, with a a couple sales, um, both of which, uh, they're they're both kind of long stories, but uh, suffice to say, the lessons I learned are get paid up front. Both, both implementations were <laughs> successful, but um, uh, I can't really say the client names, but uh, suffice to say I, I got lawyered up. Uh, they, they didn't pay when they expanded to another location because they were so happy. And when I said, guys, you owe me another license fee, they said, no, we don't. And uh, at the time, they were one of the largest comp- privately held companies in the world. And uh, the other company was uh, in Malaysia, who uh, I licensed some software, the, the front end of our software product, too. And they said, hey, can we spread this out over four quarters? And I said, sure. And they basically, the, it wasn't their fault. The, the economy in Southeast Asia fell apart back in 97, so they went out of business before they were able to make the second payment. So uh, I learned a lot from that. I went back to consulting, and I uh, have been doing it since uh, – about 2000, uh, 1999,
1: actually. Well, just that right there might be enough to help anyone out there who's starting a business and getting into an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial role get paid up front. I mean, uh, at, least, uh, le- at least pretty close to the beginning, right? I mean, don't let them spread it out over four quarters. And uh, <laughs> yeah. with, with, without any of the money in, in the bank, it's pretty hard to survive and to keep your business going and keep your dreams alive, right?
4: it was a valuable lesson um here i uh i i came from a technical background so all my business knowledge i have learned you know by baptism baptism by fire i guess is the term uh it's uh so i i pretty much have made every mistake which is good because now i know what not to do
1: yeah absolutely absolutely well, so having been in the field of IT as long as you have, uh, what would you say, you know, you do to kind of stay on top of the latest trends and things that are going on uh, in your world?
4: Well, Chris, as, as I know you're aware, there's uh, just an incredible amount of change in the in uh, information technology now, uh, with a big trend towards cloud-based computing from on-premise computing and. and the, our, just so people know, our our clientele at RGB Projects is primarily Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 type organizations, banks, insurance companies, uh, governmental agencies uh, globally. So uh, there's been this trend that started some time ago, and it's really picking up speed as, uh, as management becomes more comfortable with the uh, security aspects and the um, sort of they, they realized the the financial benefits of it's not just hosting, but going to a a multi-tenant software as a service model where you you pay per the drink instead of uh, buying the whole uh, water bottle and. You can scale as needed, upward as well as downward. So it's, it's challenging for actually someone like myself who's been doing this stuff since the 80s uh, because it's the, the pace of change is uh, ever-increasing. So it's really important to stay on top of trends. And, and, and it, I stopped programming maybe 12 years ago and moved more towards um, uh, project management and, and guiding, guiding our consultancy. And uh, nowadays I personally focus more on uh, our culture and making sure that uh, uh, we bring in the right type of talent and uh, we also cater, you know, we take care of our customers properly. Sometimes what they say they need is is not necessarily what they need.
1: Yeah, and I know you're kind of at the... You know, top of your field being known as an IT turnaround specialist, and you may not be coding anymore, but maybe what are some of the things? Is there kind of a, a big accomplishment or a specific experience uh, that you might share with us that you know maybe only someone at the top might might have experienced?
4: Uh, sure. Well, it's you know it's kind of funny. Um, the the IT turnaround specialist thing sort of happened by chance uh, because my background is in ECM. Enterprise Content Management, and uh, I had a client recently who um, wanted uh, me just to be, give some advice to the, the guy who ran their IT department, and they're, they're a multinational company, and um, I came to realize that uh, a lot of what I had learned over the years working in multiple countries and multiple industries in these large, very professional organizations is the uh, even though what I had learned was certain, uh, based on a certain technology, it was totally applicable. Um to, it. the technology didn't matter, it's more the methodology that comes into play. So I was able to help this one IT department pull together uh, just their project portfolio and to uh, assess the value of various projects so they could kill kill off projects early that didn't make sense. And, and they brought in an agile methodology so that they were much more nimble and when the conditions changed in the market, they could react quickly. And uh, it was really uh, very gratifying to me I met up with a guy from uh, Deloitte who actually I was sharing this with him, and he said, wow, Joe, that's that's pretty valuable. People would pay a lot of money for that. <laughs> He'd come in and help their IT departments, and the, the light bulb went off. It, it honestly hadn't even occurred to me. It was sort of a one-off favor. So uh, that, that's kind of how it started. Um, but it, you ask about a, a, a story that I'm particularly proud of um, back in – from 2000 to 2003, I was uh, my client was the City of New York. I was on part of a team <clears throat> uh, working for the, the Human Resources Administration, and uh, our office was in Lower Manhattan near South Street Seaport. And I was living in Brooklyn. And uh, on 9/11, I got on the subway, and when I came out of the subway, which had been redirected to Broadway and Wall, I came up, and one of the towers had smoke pouring out of it; the other what did not and i slowly made my way to the office when the first tower came down and i had to run for my life basically um i eventually made it home around 3 p.m that day and that was on a tuesday i only had a cell phone there was no phone service thursday afternoon i got a call from my boss uh sal galasio uh who uh, said joe good to hear your voice i thought you were dead we need you at the coroner's office that was a direct quote and uh, and I, my team, because we couldn't work anymore, we dedicated ourselves basically on a twenty-four hour basis to develop the system that processed what was found at Ground Zero, uh, photos and paperwork, uh, to basically start what. Uh, became the identification process for who perished, and uh, it it was the beginning of the new death certificate process, which was really important because there were a lot of families without their breadwinners, and they needed the life insurance money, which would not start flowing until that official death certificate was issued, and uh, I can't tell you how grateful I was to be able to help in some way um, after that uh, tragedy.
1: Well, it's a terrible and remarkable story all in one. Uh, that you were able to to be a part of that process to at least help people in that time of need. It's you know obviously a terrible thing that happened, but at the same time for you to be able to go in after that and provide such a uh, important service and um, you know in such a quick and timely way, it it's amazing sometimes when the most acute things happen. That we are able to make so much happen, um, and yet without those sort of, you know, pushing, something to push you like that, it's, things don't always change in that kind of way. Um, in fact, we've we've sometimes even tried to artificially create that in our organization. You know, let's pretend we have six months to live with this particular thing, or that we'll be out of business if we don't get these accounts in X amount of months, just to put that artificial pressure. Because otherwise, it's easy just to kind of keep going and let things be the same. And um, I'm sure you noticed a lot of that sort of things happening very quickly in that intense moment, right?
4: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It was. Um it was a, a, an incredible time. We were actually sharing the uh, second floor of the coroner's office with the NYPD Computer Crimes Unit, and they were the ones with the whiteboard, keeping track of the, um, you know, m- the numbers of people missing and found, and you know, dead, and, and those numbers were going to the media to go on the the news, and uh, it was it was. Uh, just such a feeling of, I, I, you know, having been in New York for some time before that, you know, New Yorkers are, are known for sometimes being kind of gruff or not the friendliest, but uh, they're they're actually wonderful people. And uh, during that time, the camaraderie that I witnessed and and just the team that we had, we had a, maybe. Fifteen people. We had a, a large group of developers from India, and some guys from the East Coast, and a guy from the UK. And to this day, we actually will shoot will shoot out text to each other, text messages on 9/11. You know, it's not that we're celebrating 9/11, but we're celebrating. We're kind of all brothers in arms, and uh, it's it's interesting how. Uh, a a shared experience can really bond a group of people. Uh, And if you have to artificially create that experience to make something happen, you know, so (laughs) as long as it's real to them, then, uh, then it should work. (laughs) But the human, the human, the human nature, it's, we're, we're all very resistant to change unless we're forced. And um, something that I, like to focus on is is uh, reinvention. You know, I never really thought about it until I had an opportunity to give a talk recently, and and I entitled it "Reinvention Required" because there's at any given time we all experience it, but sometimes it's it's um, instead of it being like say say you get fired from a job. Unexpectedly. All of a sudden, you have to dust off the resume or start applying for jobs, and you have to become something that you think the employer will want. And usually that's not a pleasant experience, so I I consider that more of a negative reinvention. Um, And uh, the flip side is say you see an opportunity. And you think, gosh, I want that opportunity. You know, if I go to school and get this degree or get this certification, then I'm going to be able to apply for that position. And then I'm going to make more money or have more whatever, better challenges. And, uh, and that is proactive reinvention. And I have personally decided to uh, come to minimize the negative reinvention and maximize the proactive reinvention as much as possible.
1: So, you've started to kind of give me a nice little uh, transition there because I know you're doing some other things that are not specifically IT related that get into more of the uh, sticky or touchy feely. And, uh, you know, I would say it's a good, pretty much a, a good opposite from, from IT, at least in my opinion. You might disagree. But maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the things that you're doing around uh, being an executive heart coach.
4: Sure, yeah, that's, uh, that's another thing that sort of uh, came out of the blue. <laughs> it, it, it selected me more than I selected it. And um, executive hard coach uh, is basically organizations reflect their leaders. And if a leader is stressed out uh, or burnt out, then um, their organizations will reflect that and their teams will suffer. They will not be as productive, or basically not not hot. They will not perform highly anyway. And uh, so, uh, stress reduction is, is a is a huge issue. And um, and then also, oftentimes, um, our feelings of like we we might just be going through the motions, uh, getting up, going to work, you know, coming home, eating dinner, watching TV, going to sleep, getting up, going to work. And it, it, if we don't, if we can't attach. What we're doing to um, something meaningful that we really feel, you know, sort of, uh, it, it can be the the corporate mission, but it, I, I would posit that it needs to go deeper than that. Um, then there's there's no alignment with our purpose, and um, and then we end up sort of losing our our spark, and and we're going through the motions. Uh, so I. Uh, have uh, through a number of interactions come to realize that I should actually there there are a lot of CEO types and high performance individuals that have that are experiencing these issues and they don 't even know how to relax much less you know feel attached to their purpose and to draw energy from that so i uh, have just uh, sort of on a limited basis that, generally don't really advertise this but uh, it's more by word of mouth Um, I work with these uh, senior management types to uh, reduce stress, align their purpose and and remove blockages Uh, because what I've encountered is problems occur or dysfunction occurs when the heart and the mind are out of alignment and uh, we've come up with a a process that I uh, refer to as executive reboot that allows people to sort of, um, clear blockages and reconnect with, it it starts out with, you know, let's, let's decide on something that's, that's bothering you, maybe something you want to work on. And then once we actually go through that process, um, it goes, it actually goes deeper because we, in addition to our physical heart, we have a non-physical heart and, uh, and that. Is frequently walled off, and we're, we we don't have access to it, even though we all have it. And once that we can remove those walls, and the the heart gets stronger, then you have the heart and the mind, and um, you know you're cook, you're cooking with gas when your when your heart and your mind are in alignment.
1: Well, and this is um, great, really great stuff. And if anyone has any interest in you know kind of diving into this deeper i really highly recommend it and if uh, you know, joe's someone you want to talk to I, I know i've gone through it with joe and it's been uh, really really good for me you know, so you're doing kind of all that work and helping people get that connection and and how does that sort of relate to some of the other work that you're doing from an executive reboot program and is that are those two connected or are they kind of bringing in different things
4: so executive reboot is actually a uh a package um of uh, five sessions that uh, are committed to upfront because knowing how executives are, uh, they're running at a million miles an hour, uh, this getting on their calendar to do. These five sessions, um, once a week, uh, sort of forces them to take the time, and uh, it's sort of uh, like you got to slow down to go fast, sort of thing. And and that's so that's a package. It's uh, it can be done on site or remote, Um, and uh, the executive heart coaching is something that is offered. After the executive reboot, because some people will actually want to continue and it it can it'll go much deeper. Um, But at the very least, someone who comes and says they're stressed and they can't relax this, uh, the 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 executive reboot package will help them with that. And it's something that they will actually learn how to do on their own so that, you know, six months from now in a stressful situation, they can they can actually take. Take it. Uh, they can treat themselves.
1: Right, absolutely, and I, I love what you said about having to slow down in order to, to speed up. I mean, that's that's a really, really big one. People think I just need to do more. I need to work harder. I need to, you know, add on these five more things. And really, what they need to do is slow down and get clear on what they really need to do and what's really important. Um, in order for them to to kind of get to that better level of success and to to be happier, really, with what they're doing and and w- with their families and with their work and everything else.
4: Well, I'll tell you, I I uh, back in the '90s, I had, in my office, I had maybe four or five computers around me, and at any given time, I would roll my chair between these computers and do different things on different computers and sometimes it would start off a process that would take a while so I would jump to something else and I was really proud of my multitasking capabilities (laughs) and you know you might be able to do that with computers because they don't talk back usually but what I came to realize was with people uh, you don't want to do that. Even if it's you're having a conversation and you pull your phone out to look at it, boom, you just kinda of screwed it all up. I I now am single threaded in uh almost any and every interaction that I have and it really increases the, the quality of the conversation or, or the interaction. And uh, you know, that's it's I could say it's actually more of a heartfelt communication. Nothing is just sort of standard anymore.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I can totally understand that. I mean, it's it's like quality over quantity, right? Having one great uh, interaction as opposed to having three kind of crappy ones. I mean, it's really the can be the big difference. Um, and sure. we t- tend to trick ourselves into that the three are going to be great when they're not because we're we're not really giving our all to each one of them or focusing in on each one of them in the way we should. Well,
4: and and it relates to to leadership. So if you're talking to a group, if you're talking from your brain, like you know, most people do, it's, it's one thing. But if you're actually heart-centered and, and speaking from your heart, it's, you could be saying the exact same words, but it's a completely different experience for the audience. And, uh, and that's something, the Executive Reboot, which would lead to heart coaching, people would, would come to um, experience
1: so, uh, I know we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure we ask you uh, some of our uh, important and favorite questions. And first one would be, is there a book that you're reading right now that you maybe uh, read recently that you might tell us about? Oh, that's funny.
4: Yeah, uh, you know, I'm finishing up a book called How Not to Be Wrong uh, by Jordan Ellenberg. Um, this guy's a, uh, a mathematician. And um, it's, it's, he, it's the power of mathematical thinking. He sort of brings these very sort of high level mathematical concepts down to reality and uh, down to the the plain English language, and uh, and he talks about uh, you mentioned earlier uh, lottery tickets and <laughs> and uh, just it, it's really a fascinating read. And I, I was kind of a, a math kid growing up, and uh, you know. It's uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm very it's it's not a, a quick read. It, I can only do a few pages at a time because sometimes it gets a little deep. But it's definitely rewarding. I, I highly suggest it.
1: Yeah the concepts in that book are fantastic and it really is worth a read uh, unfortunately he lies to us in the very beginning of the book and says i won't talk about anything more than basic algebra and then of course we get into all this other stuff that's you know it's pretty hard um, yeah, but calculus. the good thing is you can sort of gloss over that and hear the <laughs> overall concepts and that was was really important for me especially that i was i listened to that book and so there was He was reading math out loud, which was even worse than me looking at it um, and trying to drive and conceptually think about it. But you're right, if you can do it a little at a time, it, it is a great book. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm.
1: Well, well, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you, uh, RGB Projects, uh, the executive reboot program, and the heart coaching? I mean, there's so much that you might offer someone. What's the best way for them to find out more and reach out?
4: Well, uh, rgbprojects.com. Uh, that's uh, projects with an S. It, you can uh, drop drop me a line there. There's a contact form. Um, my email is joe.rogers at rgbprojects.com, and that's R-O-G-E-R-S. You know, as I mentioned earlier, this uh, executive reboot thing is, is sort of a, a new thing for me, and it's I, I still have my day job, so this is sort of a uh, something that uh, – I do have done as a favor Uh, people who approached me and said, I'm stressed out, can you help? Um, And I'm starting to think that maybe I should... uh start uh, providing more of my time to it so it's you can you can if if you're interested you can you can contact me via email or the website uh i don't have uh, a website set up for uh the heart coaching stuff but uh, that's okay for now i think that anybody that's hearing this was meant to hear it and uh if they want to contact me just uh, send me an email
1: well, they definitely should reach out to you. We want to make sure there's enough of them because I'm desperately trying to talk Joe into having a retreat on this heart coaching uh, in Tahiti or somewhere wonderful, um, you know, get everyone together. That'd be great. You, uh, but, good. Joe, thanks so much for being a part of the show. I'm glad we finally got you on. Uh, twisted your arm a few times and got you on here. Uh, hopefully uh, it wasn't too painful and we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on everything you're doing.
4: Oh, thank you, Chris. This is wonderful. You do You do good work.
1: All right. Thanks, Joe. Uh, hey, don't forget, everyone, uh, next week we will have uh, two new guests, including uh, Kirsten Helvey, COO of Global Client Services for you know, that little tiny $2 billion market cap company in Santa Monica, Cornerstone On Demand. And then uh, we'll have uh, Kevin uh, Cloutier, uh, co-founder of Fleet First Entertainment. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today